Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today on the show, we have Elisa Pratt with Brewer Pratt Solutions. Welcome. Well, thank you, Lee. Longtime listener, first time caller. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Brewer Pratt. How are you serving folks? Yes, Brewer Pratt Solutions is an association excellence consultancy. We focus on really a three-legged stool of strategy development, so strategic planning, um, board execution, so making sure your board has what they need, uh, and then future member engagement. You know, who is in your pipeline? Who's your pipeline to not only membership, but to those, those next generation of leaders. So that is our, um, our main approach with uh, organizations of all shapes and sizes. We work with both uh, 501c6 and 501c3 associations, and it, uh, it keeps us busy. It keeps things uh, exciting and uh, things have never been busier. Well, um, one of the first things you mentioned was strategy. How um, how important is strategy to you in this three-legged stool? And why would you think that organizations that have been around for any length of time would need help in strategy? Sure. You know, it, it's interesting with mission-driven organizations. That mission is truly your your compass, but you, you're changing directions all the time. And it's that, that adaptability. It's, it's that reaction to change around you, both internal and external, that requires a strategic mind, a strategic focus. And, uh, you know, it's important to, to keep asking yourself the hard questions. I believe, and I, I see often that it's those well-established and, and, and long-tenured organizations that, that get into the, the most rut. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to go from good to great, but it's also really hard to stay great. And, uh, and, and strategy can come into play to allow an organization to be flexible, to be responsive and to remain relevant. You know, really this is about relevance and, and ensuring a a relevant future. And that requires strategy that requires a candid look at, at yourself as an organization, at your, your industry and your, your membership and uh, and what you believe you can truly uh, achieve within the scope of your your mission. Now, what are some symptoms that maybe your strategy has gone awry or it's a little maybe off the mark and it is no longer kind of pointing to that true north that you aspire to? Sure. You know, there there's some very, uh, I think, obvious data points and, and metrics that can start to skew uh, to let you know that things are, are off. Uh, you know, first our, our, our customer numbers, um, you know, those end users, in most cases, your members, your leadership, when those, when uh, retention numbers start to drop, when join numbers start to decline, uh, when, when even attendance and registration numbers start to drop, that tells us that there's, there's a disconnect, that the organization we want to be and the organization we think we are, that's not what's what's getting to the end user. That's not the experience that they're having. Um, financials usually fall in line with that. Um, obviously, membership and uh, programs and service changes will, will affect the finance pieces. But 
I also like to look at at internal. You know, if we're turning over staff, if uh, if we've had a long tenured executive with great success retire, and now we can't seem to keep to keep a, a new executive in place, that's that's a red flag that there's not not a strategy coming out of COVID. One of the most telling symptoms for me has been the burnt out staff. Many organizations got very lean during COVID, and 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 necessarily so. And the staff that have remained have been rewarded with, for their loyalty and their commitment with more and more and more responsibility. And that does not demonstrate a strategic mindset. That means you're saying yes to everything. You're piling on, and you are, um, you know, as some would say, you're you're forgetting about the mule and just loading the wagon. And and that is a recipe for for disaster. And that tells me that we don't have a strategic discipline. Um, or a strategic focus for the future. How do you help the organization where maybe at one time in their market or with their cause, they were maybe the only game in town. And now there's been others that upstarts maybe that have said, you know what, this is a cause worth pursuing. And this is kind of our little take on it. And this is where we're a little different. And all of a sudden, the cause that was exclusively yours is now has several players in it and maybe each appealing to a different group. In that case, the strategy might have made sense at a certain time. And it maybe it still makes sense. But maybe you just aren't the answer anymore. You know, I, I laugh because competition and an expanded and competitive market is something all industries face, not just associations, not just nonprofits. Uh, and where the greatest competition lies is is really in in the organic uh, user space. You know, the the people on the internet, the people on groups, the people in in their own communities that can connect that can amplify their voices through through unity that can can make a case that can put on a user group that can write a paper that can do a lot of the things that we t- would traditionally look to to a nonprofit um, to to undertake and that's scary but if you if you embrace partnership and you embrace collaboration and I think those are two very important strategic attributes you can weave yourself into that diverse marketplace, that diversity of thought. And instead of having competitors, you can have channels of content. You can have, you can have channels of, of influence and in, in some ways make yourself even more, more vibrant and, and therefore more relevant. Now, when you're having a conversation with maybe an incumbent, how, how are you broaching this? Because that seems like a conversation not many incumbents would like to have. <laughs> Well, it, you know, it depends on what you're measuring and, and how you're measuring success. If if success is being measured through status quo, through through not not uh, I don't know, I don't want to say a resistance to change, but we know that many many incumbents and the boards that they support are are resistant to change. Um, you know, the future is coming, and you can either wrap yourself around it, or it will consume you at your own expense. Um, you know, I think uh, my, my clients hire me for my candor. I'm not a yes person. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. And, uh, and in many ways, that environmental scan that, that we do for our clients will, will help. I don't know. It allows us to read the tea leaves. Um, but, but the future is coming. The, the, the pace at which it, it will, 
uh, impact you is different for every organization. And, and I, I mean, I have to beg of my, my clients to be, to be open-minded and, and many are those that are already innovative that used the pandemic to, to jump ahead, to experiment, to test things, to try new things. They already get it. And it's really about risk allocation and prioritization. Those that are the risk averse, those that, that are desperately grasping onto the status quo and, and, and talk about the good old days and how things used to be and, and want to get back to the way things were, um, you know, they, they need a little bit different, uh, motivation. You have to kind of shake them up in a, in a little bit different way. And I, I don't want to use fear, but that competition is out there. The, the rate at which the world around us is changing, not only through technology and science and, and innovation, um, but the expectations of the next generation. That is, that is speeding up um, faster than we, can, we could have ever imagined. And, uh, and sometimes it, you do have to you know, show people the hard truth um, to get them to, to open their minds to, to what their mission and their organization could be in the future. Well, I agree a hundred percent. And I think that that is one of the biggest challenges, especially with mission driven organizations. At some point, is the priority the mission or is the priority the organization? Is it to keep right. the status quo and the status of the organization and the members of there who've been there a million years and are seen a certain way and have a certain level of authority? Or is it to really solve the true problem of the mission that we're trying to solve? Right. That's a different, those are two different things. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. And there are, you know, we, we talk about the word stewards. And I hate to think of, of organizations as, as, stu- or as leaders and boards as stewards of their organization, because that forgets that mission piece. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think as visionaries, I like to go into boards and, and ask them what they believe possible, not what the organization has done, but what they believe the organization could look like. What impact do they believe they could they could have. And it's a most interesting conversation in the trade association space. I spent most of my uh, nonprofit career in uh, 501c6 organizations. And there you're trying to advance an industry. But I've never seen an organization where 100% of that industry is represented in the membership. So at some point, the organization is having to do things and spend resources and allocate effort in areas that are that are benefiting those outside of the direct membership. And I think that's where you you can start to break down that wall of just the organization. This is who we are, this is what we do, this is who we do it for. Um, you also have this conversation in more of the philanthropic and, and charitable organizations um, where where their their vision is ha, is more broad because they are focused on a cause and, and on a mission. Um, but anyone looking to protect the organization and build walls and ensure rigidity, I didn't, I didn't use the term stability, but rigidity, um, you know, they, they, to your point are, 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 are missing the forest for the trees. Now, when you're working with an organization and say the light bulb goes on and they look at their website and they realize that the people on the website under the leadership and the board aren't looking like their members, and they said, you know what, we want this to change. Yeah. How do you, what are some kind of low hanging fruit? What are some of the things that that as organization leadership can do to make that dream come true? 
Sure. You know, it's important to first recognize that, that you have that, that challenge that, that who is around your board table doesn't either represent your current membership, your current industry, uh, your current cause, or, or even the future of that industry. And I think the first step is, is to, to understand where your industry is going. And some organizations embrace this through, through DEI initiatives. Other organizations um, uh, embrace this through a future visioning of, of where their, organi- their industries are going, their sciences, their specialties, their areas of, of, of practice or their professions. Um, you know, I want organizations, I want my clients to undertake this as, as part of a pursuit of excellence for those who they serve, not just to check a box and, and stick a, a new variety of people on, on the board. Uh, we want to be representative. We want to be, um, we want to be the future of, of, of our organizations and, and, and the future of, of who is going to be impacted by and have the greatest opportunity to impact these, these missions. Um, so I, I like my groups to dive into data, understand who are your members now. It's amazing how many organizations don't know exactly who their members are now. They haven't captured demographic information. They haven't captured maybe not age, but where are you in your career? Where are you in the industry? Um, and, and first knowing who you have within your, you know, under the tent, and knowing who that that is and what portion of the industry you then represent and how you measure against um, your industry or your profession's um, own numbers and and representation and diversity. Then you then you can start to measure something. Then you can start to put uh, initiatives into place and and reallocate your your efforts and your resources to to see and measure change. So many people are just plugging new faces in and and they're not measuring anything. Uh, and, and I think that is, is it's somewhat arbitrary and, and it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's insincere, but I think it's, it's misdirected. Well, if you're going to do the effort to kind of get the lay of the land, it makes sense, uh, again, going back to strategy to have some, to know what it looks like when you're done, you know, to at least have something, okay, how do we know if we did a good job? Should we be high-fiving this month or should we not be, you know? Um, you know, keeping track of the metrics are important, but also defining what are the metrics that matter, I think are, are more important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, definitions of success are going to be different for every organization. Um, and, and each organization and each, each industry is going to define diversity in a different way. Uh, you know, it may, it may not be racial. It may be more gender specific. It may be age related. It may be a diversity of, of roles within, within the industry. And, uh, and I, I like, I, I like to break beyond the DEI uh, space to ensure that to your point, the strategic metric is specific to that organization and who they represent and what their mission uh, states. Now you mentioned um, leadership and leaders. How does an organization kind of keep that leadership pipeline filled? What are some of the things they can be doing to engage, um, you know, maybe the people that are early in their career, as well as the people who are on later in their career that would like to leave a legacy and like to, you know, feel like they're, they made an impact, you know, both sides of the coin have to be addressed and, and you don't want to forget anybody. Yeah. And, you know, groups have gotten pretty good over these last 10, 20 years at creating 
future leader committees, uh, young leaders councils, you know, all of these uh, channels and uh, for for engagement and participation amongst the young, the next generation, the emerging leader. But then there's a gap. They don't have anything that for them to do until, you know, you you've evolved to a board position and they're losing a lot of those people that they've invested in um, during those gap years. And what I like to help my clients identify and, and design are opportunities for bridge engagement. You know, how do we bridge them from the early career professional committee or council to the board? Are there micro-volunteering opportunities that we can plug in along the way that are suited to their uh, where they are in their life cycle? You know, uh, can we can we adapt things that that uh, are respectful of of parents of of those who aren't able to come to to evening events because they're at Little League? You know, can we customize some micro-volunteering opportunities during those interim years? that um, that will keep them engaged until uh, until they have either met criteria or in their own time and profession are able to give uh, time required of of greater leadership roles. Um, You know, another piece of this is not reconciling young leaders and however you define that, but not relinquishing that or I don't know, not not putting them in a box, putting them in, in that council or that task force, or integrate them within the holistic organization. Let them have a seat on every committee. Let them be a part of board discussions. Now give them voting rights. Don't, uh, don't lock them into a, a box to interact only with themselves so that you can pat yourself on the back and say, great, we're engaging the young. Good job. Well, they're engaging with themselves, but you aren't you aren't absorbing them sincerely into into the organization, and therefore you're losing their their influence. You're losing their their expertise, and you're somewhat, um, uh, I think, stunting their growth within the organization. Right, you're giving lip service to giving them yeah. a voice, but yeah. they're so only having a voice amongst themselves. Yeah. It's not yeah. really being heard by the people that are making decisions. So that's the, I mean, that balance there. I love how you use the word strategy. I think that's critical. And I love how you use the word design because things have to be designed. You can't just hope that just because you have good intentions that things are going to work out the way that you'd like. These things have to be really kind of elegantly designed so that they organically lead you to the path you want to be on and, and grow into. You know, having come from the staff side of things, um, the way I've approached consulting, yeah, I want to be the consultant that I wish I had had. And for me, being staff-minded but member and mission-focused is key to the value that I provide my clients. And when we embark on a strategic planning engagement, you know, there's the standard of discovery and analysis and and in-person facilitation and and all of that. But I require of my clients an implementation planning phase. I refuse to allow my strategic plans, uh, you know, and these clients' strategic plans to get put on a shelf. And and if we aren't going through the process with a, a certain dose of realism, and, and ownership and ultimately bringing it all the way through the design phase to implementation, you know, we have to figure out the how and, and do so in a way that is tactical. 
incremental, uh, measured, and and tied to you know those key performance indicators that will allow us to report out victories. Part of this is just the the PR around around delivering on what we say we're going to do. And, and it's very, very important to me, um, you know, the, the design piece is sincere and it is member driven, but staff minded and, and that there is a commitment to and a dedication of time and resources to, to the how, to the implementation planning, who's going to own what, what are the milestones along the way and, and what, what's our measure of success to your earlier point, how are we going to know when we get there? Um, and that's something a lot of people think strategic planning is just facilitating a board retreat. And, you know, I've, I've learned my lesson. I have my own strategic planning scars from when I was a staff person. And that's how I built my approach um, and why, you know, my clients come back um, over and over again to undertake a more uh, implementation minded approach just to, uh, to strategic planning. Now, what does your ideal um, client look like? What is the size? What is the uh, maybe the niche that they're in? Sure, uh, I I love that kind of ten to fifteen person staff. You know, five to fifteen million dollars. Um, I do have a special place in my heart for organizations that have chapter and affiliates um, because I spent a lot of time um, in component relations. So, you know, whether it's a national network, whether it's a state network, even, you know, more so now a global network, I think that's a, a, a very uh, underrated element of, of strategy and strategic design because people don't always um, give credit to or fully appreciate the power of those networks. Um, so I've, I, I started most of my work in the trade association space but now have greatly diversified over uh, over the last five years um, with scientific associations, medical societies, um, charitable organizations, and uh, and and it it keeps me. You know, I'm, I'm learning at every turn. Every every client makes me better, and uh, and we refine our process and evolve that strategic journey for for each each client. So, can you share uh, maybe? one of your success stories in terms of what was the problem they had, obviously don't name the name of the organization, but maybe share what was the challenge they had and how when Brewer and Pratt solutions came in, you were able to help take them, you solved the problem and took them to a new level. Sure. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's really many groups fall into two categories and I'll come into a group and they will have what I call an overgrown garden and they're good. They're, they want to get to great but they don't realize that it's it's having said yes to everyone along the way and trying to be everything to everyone that really is what's holding them back. And so coming in with a, a lean a lean mindset um, and also a, a commitment to candor, using the data to point us in the right direction, but also listening to the members and and taking uh, taking what they have to say to heart, uh, taking the ego out of it. Um, that's that's very common. Um, more recently, I've been working with organizations on on uh, operational assessment. You know, they're coming through the pandemic. They don't know who they're supposed to be moving forward. As I mentioned, they're very lean on staff, and they don't want to just rehire into the old positions. So they're calling me in to do kind of an operational and organizational 360, and then with that in place, we can reassess and realign our internal resources 
in conjunction and in parallel with a strategic planning engagement. And it's powerful to do those things at the same time um, because you your, your board tells you they want to prioritize this um, or this element of the mission is where we want to direct more resources to. Your operation has to has to align with that. You have to be able to deliver. Um, so I, I very much appreciate those organizations that are self-aware enough to bring in an outside set of eyes to assess and determine not just what positions need to be hired for, but how departments are, are interacting and how roles are, are shared amongst different program models uh, and and, theref- and and therefore prepare themselves better. It's almost kind of like a training boot camp before you go into strategic planning. Let's make sure that we are strong a- in the right places so that we can go into strategic planning to deliver, to, to, you know, to exceed the board's expectations in every way possible. Right. If you have the foundation right, then the other stuff gets a lot easier. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, doing strategic planning first is, is very dangerous. Um, and, uh, you know, many, I have, I have a handful of clients right now who are coming off of 2018 or 2019 strategic plans. And, you know, how much has the world changed yeah. uh, since then? And how much of those plans had to be either forgotten about, left behind, or, or completely reimagined? Um, and, and what does strategic planning look like for those organizations in this new normal? Um, that's, uh, that's a very common call that we get, you know, Elisa, please help us. We, we didn't do anything with our 2019 plan because we were just trying to survive. Um, and, uh, and, and it's not necessarily about picking up where you left off. Right. It's a new world now. Absolutely. Well, Elisa, if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, what's the website? Absolutely. It's brewerprattsolutions.com. And uh, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and you can find me there either uh, at Elisa Pratt or at Brewer Pratt Solutions. Um, but we look forward to, uh, you know, again, any uh, helping any organization that wants to, to, you know, to go from good to great or even great to awesome. Those are those are some of our most fun engagements. Um, and there's really no client too small. I want to make sure having come from smaller organizations myself as a staff person that, you know, you too deserve uh, expert consultation and, and third party support. So, uh, you know, if you're, you're a $500,000 association or a million dollar association, you have just one staff person or two staff people, you know, don't, uh, don't think of yourself as, as undeserving or, uh, or not able to secure support. Um, I, I love the small and medium associations, and I, I think they often get forgot about in this landscape. And their potential for impact is 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 truly amazing. Well, Elisa, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work, and we appreciate you. Thank you, Lee. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio. 